God, we take a deep breath this morning and we, we just soak you in. God, we pray that, that your presence would just permeate this place. God, that we would, that we would feel you, that we would, that we would know that we're in your presence this morning. God, as we think about Advent, we think about your coming. We're, 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 we're excited to, we're excited to praise you. We're excited to, to read about you. We're excited to, to know more. We're excited to know you, God. We're hungry for you. God, I pray this morning as, as I speak that you would, that you would speak through me. That you wouldn't let the words that are, that are coming out of my mouth be, be just my words, but that they would be your words for your people, God. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we are uh, spending the Advent season uh, in, in a series called The Son of God. Uh, and I, I do this for, for, for one particular reason. I think the, the, the Christmas season can kind of be uh, a confusing season for some people. Right? We, we go through Christmas and, and we, we see all these things and we're constantly inundated with these things. And sometimes, even unintentionally, we can forget what Christmas is truly all about. And, and, and sometimes, we, get, sometimes we, we do these series and we go through and we, we look at the Christmas story and we, we pay attention to the, to the shepherds and we pay attention to all these things and what must they be thinking and, and all this kind of stuff. I think even in that, even in that sense, we, we can look at the Christmas story and, and, and in the right spirit, still miss the point. And so I, I, I'm spending this, this, this Advent season really focused on, not on the, the circumstances of Christmas, not on the, not on the, the things that happened in the story. We'll, we're going to tell that story over and over again this Christmas, and you'll hear it from me. But I want to spend our Advent time really intentionally focusing on, on the baby in the manger, on who is this, this Jesus that came who is, who is Jesus? Who is the Son of God that, that God sent down? What, what is this all about? Why did this have to happen? And, and so we're going we're gonna to explore that a little bit. And so this, the, we're going to continue this morning in our, in our passage in Philippians chapter 2. But as we do so, I want to just review from last week. Last week, we, we kind of opened up this passage in Philippians 2 where it says, uh, have the same, same, same spirit that Jesus had, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be attained or something to be grasped. Right, what does it mean for, for God? What does it mean for Jesus? We're, we're looking at this, this baby in the manger and understanding and, and, and getting a, a clear picture from Scripture, not just in Philippians 2, but all over the place, that, that this Jesus is, is divine. He is by very nature God. That, that this Jesus, the baby in the manger that we celebrate at Christmas, is, he's the word of God. He is the author of life. He is the light of the world. And we come and we celebrate him in Advent. And so th- this, is, this is where we, where we start. Uh, but we pick it up this morning in, in verse 7. I, I do want to read the whole thing, though, just to kind of get us a little used to this passage. And if you're not used to this passage, this is a great one to to memorize about, about who Jesus is and what it's all about that he comes. So we're going to read together. Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 5, going to verse 11. Let's read together. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind that Christ Jesus had. And it begins to describe Jesus here 
who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So last week we, we unpacked verse 6 a little bit, talking about Jesus, who being in his very nature, God. This week we're going to focus on verse 7. Rather, he made himself nothing. A lot of, a lot of uh, translations say that he emptied himself. That's probably the more accurate language to use here, that he, he emptied himself, becoming, becoming in nature a servant, by taking on the very nature of a servant, which is the, the word there is, is more accurately a slave. He becomes a slave. I want to talk this morning, I think every single word of this verse is important, but, and I want us to see that this morning. I think, I think this morning as we, as we take a look at this verse specifically and some other scriptures in the Bible, I think we'll see some things that, that really kind of, that make Jesus truly unique. John 1, when it talks about in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God and it uses this language of the one and only Son, right? And same, same language as John chapter 3, right? That John uses this language all the time. The, the, this, this language is the, 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 what he's trying to, what, he's, what the original language means, that he's the unique Son. So what is it that, that makes Jesus unique? I think in verse 7 we see this, that, that here's, here's the first thing that makes him unique. Jesus is the sovereign creator, but he becomes a slave of his own creation, Jesus is the sovereign creator. Jesus is God. He is divine. Yet at the same time, he, he, he lets himself become a slave to his own creation. We talked about this dynamic last, last week, that, that this Jesus who, who holds everything in the universe together becomes, comes to earth as a baby in a manger and is dependent on the creation that he made to sustain his own life. Verse 7 again, he made himself nothing. He, he emptied himself. Now I think we need to be careful here a little bit. This, is, this, is, this verse that Jesus emptied himself causes a lot, of, a lot of rifts in the church. There's been a lot of uh, heretical thinking that comes from this, this spot right here that Jesus emptied himself. Because by Jesus emptying himself, Jesus is not, he's not leaving behind or taking off any of his divine characteristics. Jesus is, is no less divine when he comes to earth as a baby in a manger than he was the moment before that. Jesus is 100% divine, 100% God, but instead he, he empties himself, and, and I want us to see this. I don't think he, he, he doesn't necessarily empty himself by taking something off. Instead, the same verse says he, he takes on the very nature of a servant. He takes it on. He takes on the very nature of a servant. I think it's interesting that, that the same word here, in, in verse 6, we talked about last week, that, that the same word for, the, for being in very nature God was this, this word morphe. It's, it's, it's about just, just being. It's being formed, right? And so the, the very being of God, of Jesus, was God. But then in verse 7 it says he takes on 
the very nature of a human. He takes it on. He doesn't, he doesn't necessarily, uh, he, he takes it on to himself. He doesn't get rid of one to take on the other. This is where we get this dynamic of, of Jesus being fully God and fully human. As the Son of God, Jesus is fully God. He is fully God, fully, completely. It would be inaccurate to say that Jesus is just in part God. It would be inaccurate to say that, that he existed in part of anything. He is fully God and fully human. Right? He existed in his very nature, God. But we know that when he says he emptied himself, he wasn't becoming less divine. He wasn't becoming less God. Colossians chapter 2 says that the fullness of deity in 2.9 dwells in Jesus Christ. The fullness of deity. Now, Jesus is not, is not just a, he doesn't take off parts of his divinity. Jesus is, is fully divine, fully God, as the Son of God. But as the Son of Man, another title you hear Jesus given in Scripture, he is, he is fully human. He is 100% human. He, but he's not like any of us. He's, he's not just kind of like any of us. He's completely like us. Everything that makes us human, Jesus had. He had a belly button. He had bones. He had blood. Right? He had skin, just like we did. Right? Every single thing that makes us human, Jesus had. We sometimes have this kind of idealized picture of Jesus as humanity. Right? And sometimes we, we think of it and we kind of, even some of our Christmas carols sometimes, think of the, the song Away in a Manger, which we'll probably sing at least once, right? Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down a sweet head, right? The little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes is part of that song. Have any of you ever heard of a baby that just didn't cry? No, like sometimes we, do, we have these thoughts of Jesus. We have these thoughts that, that it doesn't make sense. He was a human. He, he cried as a, as a man. Of course he cried as a baby, right? I'm not saying that's what the song was saying. I don't want to ruin that hymn for everybody, right? But, uh, but that's, I just think sometimes we have this idealized picture of, of Jesus as, as a person, but, but he, he, he cried as a man. He most certainly cried as a baby, right? He had to learn to walk. He had to, he had to learn to crawl. Can you imagine the, the God of the universe taking on humanness that he has to even learn how to crawl, learn how to walk. He experienced happiness and sadness, the full range of emotions. He was, he was fully human, Right, this is why in Hebrews chapter 4, that the, the, the scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 4 that we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, but did not sin. Right, this, this Jesus is, is human just like we are, and these two dynamics are constantly played out in scripture, the divinity of Jesus and the humanness of Jesus in every single part of his life. Right, even even in his birth, right, the angel tells Mary, "You are going to the, a, a son will be born to you. It's, it, he's going to be human, but you will call him what? You will call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us." Right, you look at you look at his life, and at points, Jesus is is hungry and he's tired and he's angry, he's sad. But we see his divinity as he does some some amazing miracles, as he feeds the five thousand, as he walks on the water, as he as he does some of this stuff. We see both Jesus's humanity and Jesus's divinity everywhere we look in Scripture. Jesus, this baby in the manger, is the sovereign Creator. He is God. 
But this passage tells us that, that he also becomes a slave to his own creation. Now the question becomes less at this point, I think, about who is Jesus and more why? Why? Why, why, why does this have to happen? Right? Why, do, why do we have to be confused so much about this? Right? this, this if you study this stuff, it's going to give you a headache. right? And, and it has. On, I can't tell if it was my kids or this this week, but I had a couple of headaches this week. Right? That just thinking about the incarnation and how Jesus can be human and God at the same time, it's, it's a messy thing. But we know, Scripture tells us emphatically that, that yes, it's true. Jesus is 100% God. Jesus even... Jesus even really claims to be God. Not straight out, but the things that he says can be taken in no other way, but, but I, am, I am God. I am one with the Father. But also we see a, a great picture of his humanity in here. We see him as he goes, and he, and he goes to see Mary and Martha as they're grieving their brother Lazarus, and Jesus weeps with them. We see him as he goes into the temple and sees what's going on in the temple and he's, he's angry, he's flipping tables and he's angry. Right? We see the humanity of Jesus but we can't mistake his, his divinity as well. Which again brings us to the why. Why did Jesus have to come? I think here's the, the second truth that, that we get about Jesus that we need to remember about this Christmas. That Jesus is perfect Yet he pays the price for sin. Jesus is perfect. Yet he pays the price for sin. Right, why, why is it so important that what we celebrate here at Christmas is true? Why is it so important that he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness? Here's the thing. If this truth is not there, then we have no reason to gather this morning. If this is not truth, then there is no Christianity. There is no salvation. There's no Christianity without the incarnation. Without Jesus coming to earth as fully God and fully human, there is no salvation. All right, listen to listen to what Hebrews chapter two says. I love Hebrews chapter two. This is sometimes we look at Hebrews and we immediately think of later on, right? Chapter eleven, chapter twelve. Earlier on in this book is is some amazing things about Jesus. If you turn to the, to the book of Hebrews, chapter two. Starting at verse 14. This is why Jesus had to come. Since the children, you and me, have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who, who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death, for surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, 
and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the, the writer of Hebrews says this is why he came. For this reason he had to become. He had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. This is why Jesus had to come. That Jesus, yes, Jesus was perfect, but he, as Jesus, as this perfect person, had to pay the price for sin. Uh, here, here's what we need to see this morning, that, that there is not one of us in all of history who could stand before God and bear the brunt of what we deserved. Not one of us in all of history who could do that. However, if God himself in his divinity, God in the flesh, were to take that wrath upon himself, he alone could satisfy the judgment. This God of the universe, this, 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 God, this God of the universe at the cross of Jesus Christ was able to inflict just suffering and inflict just wrath and also to endure just suffering and to endure just wrath. They are both encapsulated together. It's not a picture of, of unreasonable logic here. This is an, a picture of just unfathomable mercy that Jesus would come because we needed him to come. That Jesus would come to be the sacrifice for us. That God became a man. Jesus, fully God and fully human. That Jesus took the wrath upon, of God upon himself that we would not have to experience his wrath and his justice. He took our place. This is why Jesus had to come. This is why Jesus had to become like us so that he could take the wrath upon himself. I mean, this is, this is the crux of our salvation here. I think we forget this sometimes when we talk about Christmas. We talk about the, the sweet little baby in the manger and how amazing this story is. But man, we need not forget the person of Jesus Christ laying in this manger who came for a purpose who came for a purpose to die for our sins. He had to pay the price for sin. And here's the, one of the coolest things, I think, about this. Is that if you, if you read this Hebrews chapter 2 passage again, I think we realize that, that while Jesus is, is transcendent over his people, he also identifies intimately with his people. Right, Jesus is God. We can never be God. He, is, he transcends us over and over and over again. But Jesus identifies intimately with his people. Right, this, is, this is the problem that other world religions have with Christianity. Right, how, uh, how would you do this to your God? I don't know how you could say this about your God, that he would, that he would become human being. Why would, why would a powerful God become a human being and subject himself to all of this stuff? This is what sets Christianity apart. That Jesus is transcendent, but he identifies intimately with his people. Let's read this, this Hebrews 2 chapter, this passage again. <coughs> Starting at verse 17. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Chapter, verse 18. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted... He is able to help those who are being tempted. 
because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. I think, I think Jesus identifies with us in many different ways. Here's, I think Jesus identifies, he, Jesus is, is familiar with all of our struggles. There's some hope this morning for you. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just going to say some things that Jesus is familiar with. I want us to grab hope from this this Christmas. Jesus is, is familiar with our struggles. Right? This, this, this verse 18, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Right? That, that chapter 4 verse, right? chapter 4, if you just turn two chapters over to verse 15 and 16, here's what this says. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Right? This, this Jesus is, is familiar with all of our struggles. Right? Not only that, he's familiar with all of our sorrow. Right? What makes us sad makes God sad. He is familiar with each and every one of our sorrows. Scripture, in, in multiple places, calls, even calls Jesus the man of sorrows. Right? This, this, he, he understands us when we are sad. He understands our sorrow. He, he's familiar with our suffering. Some of Jesus' last words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever been in your life and you've just, you've just felt like that? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, why am I going through this right now, God? What is going on here? He's familiar with our suffering. He's familiar with our sorrow. He's familiar with our struggles. And because of that, Because he identifies so intimately with us, he intercedes for us even still today. This just blows my mind. When we walk through this life and we struggle with this or that temptation, we're in the middle of this or that struggle. We're in the middle of suffering, in the middle of sorrow. At that moment, Jesus intercedes for us. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 33 and 34. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies Who can condemn? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Man, who shall separate us from the trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This same Christ Jesus who loves us, whose, whose love is, is, is inseparable from us, we cannot not be loved by Christ. Whether you want it or not, Jesus loves you. And in the middle of your struggle, 
in the middle of your, of your sin, in the middle of, of, of the temptations, in the middle of your suffering, in the middle of your sorrow, Jesus is interceding for you. Now this whole word interceding, what does that even mean? Right? Jesus is, is literally standing in the gap for you. Going to God for you. I think this is just amazing. This is the Jesus that we celebrate this Christmas. This is the Jesus that we come and, and we worship during Advent. This Jesus who came and who, who came for a reason. This Jesus who was, yes, fully God and fully man. Who came, he was, he was perfect, but he came to die for our sins. This Jesus is who we celebrate at Christmas. This Jesus who, I, who, is, who is so far above us, yet chooses to identify with each and every one of us in our struggles, in our suffering, in our sorrow. He's with us, and he intercedes for us. This Jesus is the Jesus that we celebrated at Advent. This Jesus is the one that, that the angels came and they celebrated and they told the shepherds, go and see the one, go and see the Messiah. He has come, Emmanuel, God with us. This is Jesus. This is the one we come to celebrate. I hope this Advent we don't lose that. That this Christmas, as we, as we go through the season, and as we think about what we celebrate and why we celebrate it, that we take note of the story. That's an amazing story. And it's an amazing story. But the most amazing part of this story is the identity of this baby in the manger and what he came to do. He came for you and he came for me. That's why we celebrate. Let's not forget that this Christmas. I'm going to pray. Would you pray with me? God, God, we love you. God, this Christmas we are, we're thankful for you. We're thankful for why you came. God, would you just remind us this week and next week and the week after as we lead up into Christmas, would you just remind us of what this is all about? of what we actually celebrate. God, we celebrate you. We celebrate that the Son of God came to earth. And it's more than just a cute story where we see a baby in a manger. God, you came for a purpose. You came for our salvation. Would we remember that? And as we do so, God, would you give us the boldness to speak? Would you allow our lives to reflect the one who came? That people would know you, that people would see you when they look at us. 
God, we love you. God, as we go forward from this place and we go into the fellowship, fellowship hall to hang out and spend some time together. God, be in our conversations. God, and we pray that the food that we eat would energize us to live for you. That we would leave this place nourished not just, not just physically, but spiritually as well. God, you are who we serve, and we, we look to you this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Would you stand with me this morning? As you stand, I want to remind you again, you are invited uh, to lunch today. Uh, if you want to just go right on to the fellowship hall, take a seat, look at the menu, look around, and uh, just go at it, and we'll, we'll have some fun together. But would you hold your hands up? Let me just pray this prayer of blessing over you. May the God who loves you enough to send his son to earth go with you and ahead of you this week. May you live in his power. And may when people look at you, may they see the son of God. Go in peace. Amen and amen. Thank you for coming.